Warren Morris. It's a deep drive down the right field line. That ball is gone! LSU wins the College World Series on a home run by Morris! Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU podcast. And it's College World Series time, so I had to bring back the Warren Morris clip. I couldn't just lead y'all off with the old uh, StreamYard 10-second countdown. So as always, thank y'all for joining me in this episode. If you're not viewing it right here on the YouTube channel, I am joined by two special guests. I'm going to introduce those guys in a second. They will help me break down the upcoming College World Series game between LSU and Tennessee Saturday night. We're going to touch on all the ins and outs leading up to this massive matchup that will be played. That will be game four in Omaha as the NCAA threw us a little bit of curveball and pushed those guys back to Saturday. But as always, y'all can find the 60 Feet, 6 Inches LSU podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, all the other major audio platforms. If you're catching this on the YouTube channel, hit me up with a comment. Make sure to subscribe to the channel. And as always, the Twitter handle is at 60FT6INLSUPod. And if you missed the last episode, I did a quick recap of the Super Regional Series victory versus Kentucky. And that is available in podcast form, and that content is still up on the YouTube page as well. So without further ado... Let me introduce my two outstanding guests, my guys here. They joined me on the Tennessee versus LSU preview podcast, if y'all caught that earlier in the year. And my guys were actually in town for the Thursday night matchup where I had a chance to meet both these guys in person and uh, kind of kick off our friendship, really. And we had a great time watching Skeens and Dolander go head-to-head. But I'm joined none other by my guy, Jim Cross. Jim, what's up, brother? How are you doing? Man, doing amazing. You know, like you said, it's been a long grind, but we are we are to the finish line and it couldn't be a better setup. No doubt. And for those that are not able to, if you're not watching this, if you're just listening to this, he is the uh, resident Tennessee expert here. It is my guy, Randy. If y'all can't see him, he's decked out in Tennessee gear, but he gives a, uh, he does a very good, it's an objective view of Tennessee, but he just appreciates college baseball in general as both these guys do. Randy, I appreciate your time, brother. How are you doing? I'm doing well, man. Just happy to be here. Honored to be on. And and what else would it be, right? Game one in Omaha after what we saw against LSU and Tennessee when we all did meet up in person that Thursday night. I, I can't wait to see it. Would I have liked an easier road, Chris? Absolutely. But Jim knows this. I want all the smoke at all times to be the best. You got to beat the best. <laughs> yeah, there's no doubt. And I don't think uh, – I don't know if Wake and Stanford are too happy about that bracket when they look across and look at Florida's bracket. But before we get started, Jim, just tell everybody where they can find y'all stuff. And look, just get give everybody a taste of the In Off the Bench podcast. I know you got a great number in terms of the amount of guests that y'all have interviewed that are going to be participants in this year's College World Series. So do your thing. Pump that podcast and tell everybody where they can find y'all stuff. Yeah, so in Off the Bench podcast, you can find us on YouTube or any stream plat- audio platform. Um, we got 30 guests that are participating in Omaha, over five different teams. A lot of them do reside on the Tennessee and LSU team, which just makes this that much more intriguing. Uh, but, yeah, we get the story of the athletes, right? We give them a chance, give them a platform to, to tell their story. And, and that's what makes this whole Omaha thing great, because all those guys that we've had on are adding to that story and have a chance to, uh, you know, accomplish the main goals that they told us when they come on. So um, it's just a cool opportunity for us to, like you always say, pull back the curtain, see what's behind, and, um, and you know, get to know these guys off the field. No, there's no doubt. And, look, y'all do a great job. And I'm telling you, the biggest – I think the best thing that y'all do, and I just think it's – y'all are just so casual about it, both you and Randy and DB, is, like, 
y'all get these guys to relax and talk. I mean, it's, it's, and y'all, um, it's easy for college athletes to come on y'all's podcast and give you one word answers. Yes, sir. No, I didn't feel any pressure, but they like really give you a peek of, you know, what it's like to play in the SEC. It's Tennessee, it's LSU, it's Ole Miss, it's State, it's Arkansas, a ton of Wake Forest dudes, Tommy Troy from Stanford. So in off the bench, they do it up big time and just, um, and it's not just baseball, right? It's softball, it's some other sports as well. But uh, let's get going here on the pod. Just some quick stats, and I'm going to recap the Thursday game in Baton Rouge and get y'all's take on that game to see what you remember from back then before we kind of get into the ins and outs of the matchup in Omaha. But LSU comes into this matchup with a record of 48-15. and 15. As y'all know by now, they won the Baton Rouge Regional, then they run the Super Regional versus Kentucky. Tennessee comes into this matchup with a record of 43-20. and 20. So they won the Clemson Regional. I think Jim and I will both say from the LSU perspective, we definitely thought they were going to roll through that thing, and they did, winning that marathon game versus Clemson. And then they won the Southern Miss Regional. After losing game one, they came back, and they won two straight games on the strength of their pitching. But in terms of the earlier matchup this year in Baton Rouge, LSU won the series two games to one, winning the first two games in a tight fashion. Then they kind of uh, – Tennessee kind of let the dogs eat on that last one. LSU tried to make a comeback, but it just wasn't enough as Tennessee – excuse me, Tennessee uh, salvages the uh, Saturday game in that series. And I'm going to give a quick recap. So LSU won the Thursday night game by a score of 5-2. to two. It was just a great pitcher's duel, right? Massive electric atmosphere at the box. I'm sure Jeezy can attest to that as he was uh, – Look, he was just a fan of college baseball that night. You know, we all appreciated what was going on in that field. And it was Skeen's first throw. The matchup everybody wanted to see. Skeen's goes seven innings pitch, five hits, one run, one earned, one walk, and 12 Ks. Uh, Tennessee jumps on the board in the fifth with uh, three singles to score a run. LSU answers right back with the Dugas two-run shot. And um, Dolander wasn't his best outing, but he battled. He goes four and two-thirds innings pitch, four hits, two runs, two earned, three walks, and three Ks. But really, Halverson came in after Doe, and he threw really well for the Vols, three and a third, three hits, three runs. None of them earned as Tennessee scratches a run off of Ackenhausen in the eighth. They go single, but then Ackenhausen goes wild pitch, wild pitch. LSU brings in the now-injured Garrett Edwards. He leaves a slider up to Christian Moore, one of Tennessee's best players. I earned a lot of respect for that young man after that series. Tennessee takes a two-to-one lead heading into the bottom of the eighth. And as Randy's probably getting ready to test to, Tennessee's defense really lets them down in that inning. They get two outs, then an error, then an infield single, uh, hit by pitch. And then Thompson comes up big with a two-out double to score three runs. And then uh, that's it as Edward closes it out. And it's really a tight-knit game, and anybody could have won that game. But, Randy, we'll start with you, and then we'll head on to Jim. But what do you remember about that matchup? I know I ran through it really quick, but the goal here is not to really rehash that game. But do you remember anything that may stand out from that Thursday night matchup here in Baton Rouge? I mean, the first thing that really stood out to me is the first time I'd ever been into Alex Box and just the atmosphere was electric. You could tell just us being in the parking lot before it had a different feel to it. Talking to the LSU faithful, talking to Jim, who's been there a lot, you standing with you guys during that game, setting a record crowd. I mean, that's what college baseball was about. 75 MLB scouts requesting to be there to see Doe versus Skeens. And, and you mentioned it, Chris, that Doe didn't have it. He wasn't his best, but he battled. And I think really it hasn't been his best season, if we're being honest. But scouts got to be salivating at the fact that that guy battles and he never gives up and he just continues to fight. Uh, and, you know, you mentioned it too, the defense. I thought the defense kind of let the pitching staff down. Obviously, you 
you know, being in that former position, that's a tough spot to be in as a pitcher. Halverson, another guest we've had in off the bench as well. That guy's got it, and he pitched really well as well. But I, I think that what happened is, you know, when you give a team as good as LSU chances, you know, you could kind of feel that happening. And you and I were standing right beside each other when Thompson did what he did, and I wish I wasn't standing beside you, to be honest. <laughs> But a great, great night for college baseball. We had so many podcast guys, so many radio guys all right there together. And really, that is what we mean when we say grow the game. That night is an, a perfect example of it. There, No, there's no doubt. And uh, I totally agree with you 100%. You know, that game was a blast. I was just nice for LSU to come out on top. But uh, just really two evenly matched teams that gave the fans what they wanted, Jim. That's what we wanted to see, right? A heavyweight matchup. Blow for blow, even though Doe didn't have his best stuff, I still appreciate it. That dude is going to battle, and he's pumping literally 96 every pitch. He's like 95 to 97. He doesn't vary. And um, a lot of respect for those guys and that team. Jim, what did you see in that game, and, and what did you kind of come away thinking after that Thursday night matchup? Well, on the Doe thing, to your point, how many teams, you know, if you were to look this year, have went four and two-thirds before giving up a run to LSU, right? Like, just many guys haven't done it. Like you said, he battled. Um, I think the first thing is Skeens, right? I know everybody talks about Skeens, but it was the first thing that came out of Randy's mouth as a Tennessee fan. If you were a Tennessee fan there, I talked to numerous ones, they were amazed by Skeens. It was one thing to see it on TV. It was another thing to see it in person. He had 12 strikeouts, went over seven innings. And so just to see him dominate the way he did in that atmosphere, I think it doesn't matter. If you're a baseball fan, you have to appreciate it, right? The other thing that stands out to me is what you brought up in the recap, and it's Dugas and Tom. Thompson, right? Um, in a game like that, everybody's looking for, you know, Cruz or Tommy White to come up with the big clutch hit, but it was the other guys, right? Um, that was before Dugas got hurt, right? That was when Dugas was doing that on the regular. No doubt. And then Jordan Thompson, you know, obviously he's had his ups and downs, but that was when he was kind of on a heater. And so I think that kind of speaks as we're going to step into talking about the upcoming game. You know, it's got to be the other guys. We know what what Cruz and, and White and uh, Morgan will do, but I love games where you see the other guys step in and make a significant impact to win. Yeah, no doubt. And, and I was to, watching. To add on to that point Go real ahead. quick. Uh, yeah. On the whole thing about that, I, I told Jim this as we're standing there. Tennessee did a really great job against Dylan Cruz that weekend. He was, still is, the best player in, in college baseball, but – that weekend, I mean, he didn't just eat that much, and you kind of kept Tommy White. He did some things, but for them to be able to – and we were standing beside Dugas' dad when he did – it was hard not to get hyped for it, and I'm wearing all Tennessee stuff, right? Just electric. Yeah, and um, I went back and watched some highlights, and uh, to both of you's point, Jim, for Dugas, the dude leads off the game with a, a line drive to left center, smokes it, first pitch of the game. And then to your point, Jeezy, Doe just – I mean – Lead off double, and you got two, three, four coming up, and you could say the same thing. Obviously, if it was reversed, you still got two in the seas, two, three, four. And for him not to give up a run in that inning, I was like, damn, this might be one of those nights. And it was. So, this is how the podcast is going to We're going to break down this upcoming game in Omaha. We're going to talk about the pitchers, we're going to talk about the hitters, then we're going to talk about some keys to the victory, then we're going to get our predictions. So, the good thing is, we just have a chance. We only have to focus on one game here. I'm not, we're not breaking down the whole bracket or anything like that. We're just going to focus on this first matchup, game four, Saturday night. So, obviously, last time we've mentioned it, Skeens versus Dolander, but I think we're going to see something different. And obviously, I haven't paid as much attention to Tennessee as I did previously, just because the season gets going and stuff. But, Randy, all right, let, let me let, let talk, t tell our audience who do you think Vitello is going to run out there on Saturday night and maybe how the, the starting situation has changed just a little bit from what we saw earlier in the year. 
Yeah, so, you know, Vitello made a move going into the Arkansas series after LSU that Andrew Lindsay was going to move into the Friday night role or the first game night, and that Doe was going to slide into two, Beam was going to go into three, Chase Burns was going to go into the pin, and it's really worked beautifully, Chris. I mean, a lot of people questioned it. You know, I did not. I know, Jim did not. I mean, it was a role that we knew that Andrew Lindsay was comfortable in, but a lot of people hadn't heard his name. And all he's done since then has been an anchor. That guy's been – and he will be the one, in my opinion – and I think by most people's that he will be the one going Saturday night versus LSU, and I feel confident in it. Would I love to see Doe versus Skeens again? I would love to see it, but no reason to change what got you here. Go Lindsey, go Doe, go Beam. Yeah, no, I hear you, and and I think Lindsey's going to throw too. Um, on the year, Jim Lindsey's got a two point seven nine ERA, three and three, sixty seven innings pitched, sixty nine Ks, two nineteen batting average. Um, threw really well against Charlotte. Through okay, I think against Southern Miss, um, you know he's got really good stuff. Jim, you think Vitello is going to roll out Lindsey as well? Is that what you think is going to happen? That's what I have thought, but I also thought that we had seen Lindsey, and I had to go back and remember. And ironically, boys, uh, he followed up Burns on the Friday game, went exactly four and two thirds, just like Doe, um, gave up the exact same amount of hits, uh, but only gave up one walk to Doe's three with one unrun one earned run versus two and the same amount of K's and three. So really they had just about the exact same success. Um, mm-hmm. Doe just gave up a couple more walks and one more run. So the idea that one was more successful than the other is kind of, and like I said, I thought the idea of running Lindsay out was a better idea because I thought we hadn't seen him before. And maybe I just got carried away in that game and forgot that Lindsay came in in relief of Burns. And so, I don't know because I feel like at that stage, I, I just watched Lindsey against Southern Miss, right? And he didn't throw his best, and it's tough in a bigger environment. Doe is somebody who thrives in that. Randy will tell you um, there are people who are made for it, who who thrive in, in being in an atmosphere like that, and he's that dude. So I think it'll be Lindsey, but I would not be surprised. And if I'm a Tennessee fan personally, I want Doe out there. Randy, you think Doe – you think they run? I don't have his pitch count off the top of my head. I watched the Southern Miss highlights. I think he finished with maybe one seventeen complete game. One eleven because it's one eleven. Okay, okay. So all right then. Thank you. I stand corrected. You think they run him out there on a short day's rest? Or no. hear me out. I think win or lose, I want. If I'm Tennessee, I want those throwing the game to get into the winners bracket or the game to save my season. So I mean, what do you think? No, I'm with you. I, I don't. I don't like. I said I don't change what got me here. And Lindsey didn't look great against Southern Miss, but we know that guy's been a gamer. He has the lowest ERA of the starters. You know, the win count maybe not what you want it to be, but we know that guy's got the juice. Uh, when you go, and you're right. If you do happen to lose the LSU game, you still got the guy that you want on the bump. And let's be honest, that could be up for debate. No, I but, think I might want Drew Beam. That's where I was fixing to go with you, Randy. If you go that route, let's say you end up two and done. You went through Omaha without throwing your best guy from all year. I mean, that may be true. And, you know, when we get to Omaha, everything kind of changes. And you, if they do get to a do-or-die game, they're going to empty the barrel. They're going to go – we're going to – there's it, no there's it, no tomorrow to play for. If he didn't throw on Monday, I was told today by a Tennessee fan, would you roll Drew Beam out there? I said not on short rest. But, I mean, if you were talking about who you want for your day one on, in Omaha, I mean, he would be the guy. No, he's been the most consistent. I've said that even last year he was the most consistent if you really look at the numbers. However, I think that, like I said, I'm just a little bit, not superstitious, just a little stitious. I don't want to change what's when they got better was after the after they got swept by Arkansas. After that, when the rotation was set, Lindsey Doe, Beam, they have been money since then. They've even mm-hmm. figured out the last couple weeks how 
to win on the road. Now, this isn't a true road environment. There will be a lot of Tennessee fans, a lot of LSU fans, but I'm still going to stay with what got me here. I'm going Lindsey game one. Chris, before we break down the whole uh, game, I know you said you weren't going to do the bracket, but I will say this. When you talk about the amount of offense between the four teams that are in bracket two, it's very advantageous to Wake and Tennessee with their depth and pitching as opposed to Stanford and LSU. Let's call it what no it doubt. is. Oh, there's there's no knowledgeable, reasonable college baseball fan, and that may be a, a oxymoron, right? Those two always go hand in hand. There's nobody that uh, would admit – I mean, those two teams are the best pitching staffs in the country. There's, And the, I think the Tennessee, it's the stuff and the depth, and then Wake, their starters are – those dudes are something serious. If you haven't watched highlights or hadn't seen them pitch, then you just don't know. I mean, those guys can can go out and go toe-to-toe with anybody. And then they got some guys on the back end of that pen that have some serious velo and serious stuff. But you're exactly right, Jim. I mean, there's no kind of the That's why I feel like if you're LSU, you got to go get the game, right? Because we don't have the depth to go through the loser's bracket like Tennessee does. Oh, no doubt. And that, that's a great question. So that's, that's a great uh, segue. I mean, look, I know what I'm going. Jim, we're not overthinking this, right? We're going skiing's game one, right? Jay Johnson hasn't changed. He's not going to change now. Okay. All right. So, Randy, you obviously you would expect to, uh, you know, see Skeens game one and not overthink this thing? No, 100%. If I'm Jay Johnson, I want to run Skeens out as much as I can. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, I don't think so either. I don't think any reasonable LSU fan would uh, would, would say that. Now, Randy, in terms of y'all's pin, obviously y'all's pin is uh, deeper. Y'all just have a plethora of arms. But when I look at y'all's pin and the potential matchups, and I watched some of the highlights, and like Lindsey's going to be 92 to 96. He's got really good movement. He's got a good changeup. He's got a good breaking ball that can get under the lefty's hands. But then I saw highlights of, um, you know, Sewell. He does really good against lefties too with his two seam movement. Halverson's going to run it up to 99. You got Burns to close. There's a lot of options. So maybe break down the bullpen. You don't have to give everybody, but just in terms of. If you had to play it out for Tennessee, what do you think it looks like running out the pin? And then obviously, Jim, I'll bring it to you with regards to LSU. And what do you think maybe the pin looks like at the end of this game? You know, if we're going to look in the, the seventh and both of the starters are out by well, then. Well, just keep, just keep me on standby if Randy doesn't say my Tennessee thoughts that are correct. <laughs> I'll come to you too. I know you know Tennessee. But, Jeezy, what you got in terms of maybe what the pin looks like towards the end of the game? Uh, and I think it's going to be close. Let's just assume it's a close game, okay? Yeah. Yeah, no, I think if you got a close game, depending on, and I would imagine that you get Lindsey into the sixth or seventh, you feel really good as a Tennessee fan. Mm-hmm. If you get him to the sixth or seventh, there's only one man coming out of that pen to close this thing down. And that's okay. right now the most electric baseball pitcher there is as far as closers go, Chase Burns. Yeah. I mean, the guy's running in there 102 miles an hour on your hands. He's got a slurve working. He's got movement. He's got everything. He's the guy that Evan Russell told us, I lose sleep the night before I catch this guy because it's just the movement is just so nasty. If you happen to get into some trouble and Lindsey's got to go a little bit earlier, you know, that's when you bring in Cam Sewell. And you, you mentioned him. The guy's a veteran to the game. He's not going to be afraid of the moment. He's not going to be afraid to go at LSU's uh, lineup when a lot of people would. And Seth Halverson. Those are really the three. And, I mean, you okay. could go some other directions. You could go Kirby. But I think that you're right. I'm looking at the guys that have the most success against left-handed hitters. I'm not going to go into the whole thing. LSU can't hit left-handers like a lot of your LSU fans do. But it's clear that they struggle a little bit more with with that left-handed pitching. And I want guys that can run it up but also have movement. Because if you run it up 102 right down the middle, most of that LSU lineup is going to take that into the seat. So we can't have that. we got to have guys with some movement and also not afraid to attack the strike zone. Go at them. 
I hear you. I hear you. Jim, what do you think about that? If it's, uh, I mean, I think if it's close, yeah, if it's in the seventh or eighth, they probably bring Burns and let him run. But say Lindsey has to exit. Let's say he goes uh, four and two thirds and he's thrown 80 pitches or whatever, right? So uh, you think Halverson or uh, Sewell in that instance, you know, to extend to get you to Burns? I think you'll go Sewell first, but I think he mentioned something about the lefties, but you have to go back to game three, Tennessee LSU. Xander Seacrest and Kirby Cannell both pitched and did not give up anything. The thing about LSU struggling against lefties is true, though. It's a stat fact. And you can look at Beloso and Joe Bear and all their numbers. Uh, it, it really is what it is. And so if it is a tight game, because the reason you did not see them in game one or game two is because they were trailing. They came mm-hmm. in in game three because they were ahead. And so that that's what determines the situation. But clearly those are two guys. But Camden, if, if it's early, is the first guy I go to because he had success in game three. All three of those guys came in in relief of Drew Beam and had success. So um, we roughed up Chase Burns pretty good. Now, I, what I will say to what Randy's point is, Chase Burns hot right now. And oh, yeah. yeah. You, you always roll with your hot hand. But <laughs> I also know what I saw, you know, with my own eyes and the stats that I'm looking at. So you can go either way. Burns is not a wrong decision, but I do believe the two lefties that they have in the pen are, are a significant difference. It'll be interesting, yeah, because I know Jay likes to stagger the right-lefty thing, and I'm, it looks like Vitello likes to do that a little bit too in terms of staggering the hitters and – Kind of looks like he's just one or two guys. So I'd imagine if they have somebody on base, maybe Randy, they they go to him just from that lefty-lefty matchup, you know, and then uh, obviously flip it to Burns. But, Jim, in terms of the LSU pin, let's say Skeens gets you – let's say it's 2-2. Skeens is at 110 pitches, and he just finished his seventh. Okay. Uh, you know, do we think they run Coop or, Ack, or Ackenhausen out there? Or do you go straight to Gidry and see what it looks like? And Hurd can factor in that as well with some days off potentially. You know, what do, what do you think? I know it's tough, right, because we don't have the exact, you know, you can't right. lay it out. And we're not going to go through 100 scenarios here. But, yeah, you know, but what's, with your, the, what's your feeling? With the scenario you gave me, um, Gidry has proven that he's got ice water in his veins. If we just need two innings, that's where I'm going. And I don't want to throw <clears throat> Thatcher Hurd because – like I said, um, potentially you're going to need him for a long run. I think yeah. he's I think he's our third starter in my in my opinion, most people's opinion. And so that's where I'm going. If he if Skeens maybe go six, maybe you go to Cooper first. He's had a lot of success lately. He's uh, mm-hmm. impressed us more as time has gone on. So it just really depends on how deep he goes. But if he gets seven, I mean Gidry's that dude now. I mean you saw it. They 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 had Ackenhausen and uh, Hurd up in the pen, and Gidry shut it down. Didn't even have yeah. to go there. Yeah, Jeezy, any uh, any comments on the LSU pin? I'm not sure if you're as well versed, you know, with that. But any thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I'm I'm not as versed as Jim, but I will say this. I mean, the goal, and this is this isn't like groundbreaking news. The goal is to get to the LSU pin. That's where I feel like Tennessee has the major advantage. If we turn this into a bullpen game in the first game of the College World Series, I feel great about our chances. No disrespect to the LSU bullpen. I think there's a lot of great arms in there. But if we can just get Skeens out of the game, I don't think we're going to hit him out of the game, but maybe a pitch count thing. We've yeah. got to work some counts on Paul Skeens. I don't mm-hmm. think we did a good enough job of that in that Thursday night game early in the game, started to do a little bit in the middle innings, and I think you saw that by the time – now, again, I, Jay Johnson's shown that he'll throw Skeens 120 pitches against Tulane. So, yeah. I mean he'll, but, he'll, but, run him, he'll run him up there, yeah. It goes yeah. back to the last Southern Miss game, Randy. We were texting in real time. The very patient ABs that the Tennessee hitters 100%. that drew a bunch of walks, those are the kind of things that are going to get the pitch count up and matter. If you're just swinging and missing, coming up there right to the plate, over anxious, then, yeah, Skeens is going to have his way. His pitch count's going to stay low. We talked about it. That numerous guys work full count walks. That's the way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's no doubt. So, um, I guess let's just answer this right now then. 
All right, we'll, we'll start with you, Jim. Um, Tennessee seeing schemes for the second time. I got asked this question today in a, on a radio thing. Advantage Tennessee, advantage LSU, and I'll give you all my answer at the end. With Tennessee seeing schemes for the second time, does Skeens have the advantage? Does Tennessee have the advantage? We saw Arkansas do really well against Skeens in the SEC tournament the second time they saw him. But we saw Kentucky. It didn't matter because he cruised <laughs> through those guys. You know what I'm saying? So uh, what do you think, Jim? I think it's advantage Tennessee, but I'll make one note just from listening to your podcast. This is a shout out to you. You talk about in different games, Skeens doesn't always approach the same way. Sometimes he's fastball heavy. Sometimes he's slider heavy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so Skeens has had the ability to change his approach. And so um, even though it does help that they've seen, doesn't mean that Skeens won't completely flip it on them. Yeah. Randy, what's your thoughts on that? Advantage Tennessee for seeing him or advantage Skeens? Because maybe has, obviously he's seen these hitters. He's going to attack them differently. No, I think that with uh, the video being what it is and everybody has tape on everybody, I don't actually yeah. think it's advantage either side. I think what you're going to see is the advantage is to Paul Skeens because he's the best pitcher in college baseball. Uh, like That's why I said you have to work the count. You have to make him put it over the plate, and, and hopefully he makes a mistake because all it takes in a close game is one mistake. We saw Southern Miss do that. They left one across the middle. Boom, Zane Den does his thing. So I don't, I don't think the advantage is to either, to be honest. Yeah, I agree with both of you. I called it a push today because for, for the exact same reasons, right? I mean, there's two very good teams. Look, they're not going to be intimidated by 100, 101, 102. They know what his breaking ball looks like, but at the same time, I'm sure Skeens will mix it up. And um, I wouldn't be surprised to see him do some different things like busting some of these lefties in. And one thing I noticed really quick, when he struck out Burks from Kentucky, it was 101 in his outing. But it's one of the first times I can remember all year of Skeens busting a righty in with mm-hmm. two strikes. And that sucker was nasty. It was 101. It had a little bit of sink onto it. And he, he busted Burks in. So it'll be interesting to see if he kind of busts some of these uh, hitters in just to get them off the plate a little bit. Something maybe he didn't do the first time. And then he throws well, that breaking Chris, ball away. Chris, you know better than both of us because you were a pitcher at this level. You know what's working for you that day too, so it changes everything. If you, if you, you know, for instance, we talked about the slider heavy days. If that slider's just moving and it's perfect across yeah. the zone, he's going to stay with it. Yeah, I think it's important for him to have that pitch for a strike, you know, because like you saw Arkansas in the SEC tournament, and I'm sure Tennessee will have the same plan, Randy, is that Arkansas completely pushed his slider to the side, and they mm-hmm. were all over his fastball. And now when I say all over him, you know, they weren't playing wall ball, but they had some really – there wasn't a lot of swing and miss that day from Arkansas. So um, it'll be interesting to see. So, all right, let's move on to the hitters. So, Randy, in terms of the Tennessee hitters, you know, um, I looked at their lineup. Maybe it looked like there have been some juggling within the lineup, but maybe give a quick breakdown in terms of the lineup, any any movement, any changes, any ins and outs towards the end of the year here, maybe from regionals and uh, heading into the College World Series. Yeah, I think Vitello, he, he flipped some things around. He moved Simo up in the lineup, um, moved Burke down a little bit. Burke's been struggling a little bit. But moved I think for the most part, too. yeah, Denton got moved up in that same shuffle. Uh, but I think that for the same – look, you're going to see the same nine that LSU saw before. Uh, so, I, you know, I think that what he's been looking for is just a little bit more consistency. And also you put some pop towards the end, the back of that lineup. So I think it's really worked well. I mean, it, the, the results speak for themselves, right? It's when they've gotten to the bottom of the lineup – all of a sudden, you got a huge bat right there, turns it right back over. So I think it's worked, and he's pushing all the right buttons right now. Yep. Uh, Jim, in terms of the LSU lineup, obviously we seem like it's pretty settled. What do you think about some of the changes that took place, you know, a couple weeks ago? And uh, I guess the LSU lineup is as it's heading into Omaha, you know? 
Yeah, no. So one of the changes has been, and we were talking about this guy earlier, Gavin Dugas has always been the one or the nine hole hitter, right? And so now he's been um, in that sixth spot. And I like it because now when you think about it, right, when you look at Beloso, Dugas, and Joe Bear in that five, six, seven, I mean, that's a cleanup order for a lot of teams. And so I like that because five, six, and seven have at times been just as dangerous as two, three, and four. And so to me, those are the three guys that I'm looking for to be the key. We know we've talked about it ad nauseum. We know what the other guys can do. I want to, I want those three behind. And we know that sometimes it's been feast or famine for those three guys. But mm-hmm. if those three guys can stay consistent, it's going to be scary for Tennessee and everybody else, you know, thereafter. Yeah, there's no doubt. Randy, I was looking at some of the lineups. Has he pit? Has he pushed Blake Burke further down the lineup, or is that just me? I checked the wrong box score. You know, it looked like he was no. kind of fitting that six or seven hole, and that's kind of scary because that dude can run it out of anywhere. That dude could run it out the Grand Canyon. So, um, yeah. yeah, what's going on with that? You know, I, I was just curious about that. Yeah, they have moved him down, and like I, I talked about, it's just it wasn't enough consistency from Burke. wasn't working. Uh, the pitch counts enough, swinging at balls that were in the dirt, just not seeing it well enough. And I thought, you know, moving him down into that six, seven hole, all of a sudden he gets a hold of one. It's 479 feet. It's hitting the yeah. church. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So you're right. When you get that kind of pop towards the end of your lineup, it really changes the whole dynamic of what you're working through. And it puts a lot of pop down there. And they've needed it too, right? Because you got C. Scott after that, Cal Stark. You need yeah. some pop down there. Um, I think. I, and I think this, you know, he he hit that home run, but then he also had the double right after, and then he's had some singles. So he's kind of found his way. I think he actually heard Randy text me saying that he was in a funk and he needed to find a way out of it because immediately he hit that bomb afterward. Um, but the guys, the, the another guy that I, I wanted to mention because he's been in a, in a real funk and then came out of it uh, was Ahuna at the top of the order. And so I, w- I would say this for, for Tennessee, from an LSU perspective, there are a few guys that have gotten hot that you don't really want to get hot. Ahuna's finding his way, but Simo and Denton are blazing hot, and those dudes are the ones that got moved up. So they're scary in the order, and those are guys you got to watch. If you if he attacks him, and, and like you know, Randy was saying, you know, Tanner Hall's as good as it gets, and he laid one up in the zone, and Zane Denton ate it for lunch. Yeah, that's um, I don't know if I have any questions later, but that's that's kind of three guys because of what they did earlier in the year when they were here, Randy, but Simo. So Christian Moore, for those who are like, who the hell is Simo? So yeah. Christian Moore, Jared Dickey, and then Zane Denton. Those are the exact three guys I have highlighted on my sheet of paper that I am concerned with as an LSU fan. I was shocked to find out that – did you know Ahuna leads y'all's team in strikeouts with 73? That's 100%. crazy. That's your leadoff lead 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 guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, – and Christian Scott, he was uh, – a nuisance, I would say, at the end of the lineup against LSU. You know, he puts some balls in play. He can steal some bases. He can turn the lineup over. But I agree with you, Jim, 100%. Jared Dickey, Christian Moore, Zane Denton, those are the guys that I'm really going to be keyed on Saturday night in Omaha. Randy, anybody else you think uh, besides those three, maybe LSU fans should really be on the watch out for? Well, I mean, just to kind of expound on what you said, Chris, this team kind of goes as CMO goes, right? In my opinion, that's our that's the best overall player that Tennessee has on their team. Um, I, I've said that to him. I said that to everybody's listening. However, Jared Dickey, professional hitter, the guy just knows what he's doing. What they're going to have, everybody knows who Blake Burke is because of the long home runs. He has to hit against LSU. He really didn't in the series down in Baton Rouge. So I think that's a huge thing. And also, if you can get something from the bottom of that lineup, like you talked about, C. Scott, his incredible defense, really smart player, but he has to do something at the plate. If that means drawing walks, if that means stealing bases, that's great. Cal Stark, the guy's batting under 200. 
Cal, I love you, but we gotta have some. We gotta have something at the plate. You, you know what's now. funny? The guy we're not talking about is the guy with the most home runs on the team. Yeah, Griffin Merritt. He's the guy that a lot of people don't know. The guy that looks like Gaston out there with the chin line. You know what I'm <laughs> but uh, all that guy, you know, and he went to Tony Vitello, Chris, earlier in the season, and when he wasn't getting in the lineup, and he said, "Tony, put me in the middle of the lineup. I'm a run producer." And Tony Vitello said it was really contentious, and he said, "Actually, Griffin, you're not. This is what you're doing." And Griffin said, "Put me there." I am, and he did, and all he's done since then is produce walk-off home runs. He went four for four uh, in, in several of these regional games. This guy is a singles machine, doubles machine, whatever you need, home runs. It doesn't matter. He's an all-around hitter. Not on defense anymore, but the guy has been the anchor, and Jim's right, a name that most people should mention a lot sooner than they do because he's been the anchor of the squad. Yeah, I kind of got a hot take. I think Skeens is going to abuse him. So uh, <laughs> I uh, I watched the highlights and he had no shot against Skeens last time. It was he could Skeens could have told him what was coming. He had no clue, and I think he's just going to do that again to him. Now I'm not saying to those other guys, but yeah. I and I'll probably get crushed with this. Right, the guy will hit like two doubles or something <laughs> like that <laughs> Saturday night. I just think he's one of the guys that um, I know he's got power. And I remember he had those walk offs early in the year, like back to back games with massive walk offs. I think, but that's yeah. just. I'm just I'm just more worried about those other guys. So, um, all right, let's move on. We kind of almost prefaced this already, but I had it lined up, and I'll get a quick take on this because usually, guys, I do for the listeners and the viewers, I do a get right, stay right list, and I do my three keys to the weekend. I'm not going to do that on this show, and I'm not going to even back that up on the back of this episode. But um, I mean, this will be pretty quick because we almost kind of laid this out. But let's start with the pitchers real quick. Besides the starters, so maybe one guy or maybe two, Randy from Tennessee, that if you think is going to make a difference. Besides, let's assume Lindsey's going to start. Who are you picking? Let's just keep it to one or two. Maybe like a pick-to-click coming out the pin that's going to make a difference in that game on Saturday night. Yeah, I think you got to go Cam Sewell and Seth Alverson. Those are your two. Okay. All right. Jim, on the LSU side, who would you think that comes in? Like, let's say Skeens has got to leave in the seventh. You know, you kind of already mentioned him. I think I know where you're going, but who are you going to say is somebody that's yeah. going to make a difference? It's Cooper Gidger. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I got both those guys written down. I think about Cooper that people got to remember is he's been here before too. He's not no scared of this moment. Yeah, and look, I love Coop, but I think – call me crazy. I think if, if you need to get one or two of these lefties out, and I'm thinking about turning Denton around, getting Dickey, I almost think Nate may be a little better in terms of just that slider is a little. Zane, I think it's a. Zane's I think it's a, a little sharper. Though. No, no, I'm saying turn him around to oh, the right guys, side. Guys, guys, yeah, yeah. I just think Ackenhausen's slider is a little sharper, and uh, like if they got to go longer, Coop is the one. But I'm thinking if you need one or two outs before you get to Gidry, I may go Nate. But Jim, I think you're right. Jay may just say, you know what? I trust Riley. He's been here. He's not. He's not going to get scared by the moment. He may just go Coop. So. Yeah, no doubt. All right, let's do the same thing with the hitters. Same question, kind of picks to click. Uh, maybe just two hitters or even three that you think are going to make a difference in this lineup. And maybe somebody that's not the big guy, right? Maybe somebody that you think is going to have a uh, just a good night that may uh, key the team to victory. Randy, we'll start off with you from the Tennessee side. I mean, I, I can't mention hitters without first saying Zane Denton and Christian Moore because those yeah. are the guys, those are the straws that make it stir, right? Uh, and I actually am going to throw one out there that is won't get mentioned by a lot of people, and that's C. Scott, a guy that I think is ready for the moment. He's been here. He's waited his turn, and it, it's time. It's time to perform. Jim, from the LSU perspective, uh, two guys maybe you want to highlight, two or three guys you want to highlight that you think can really make a difference um, Saturday night? 
Yeah, I'm not going to cheat and say cruiser white, right? So let's go. I'm going to say thank you. Thank you for that. I would have called you out on that. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, get, give me Morgan and Dugas, man, and and I really okay. want I really want to see it. Preferably from Beloso and Dugas, I want to see guys who've been in this program for five years. They they deserve it more than anybody. Um, they don't get the same clout as the the other guys, and so yeah, um, preferably them too. But I really feel like Trey Morgan is finding a groove. Even when he was getting out, we talked about it in our messages, yeah. right? He was hitting the ball hard. He was just hitting it right to somebody. I feel like Trey's swinging the bat really well right now. I, yeah, I, think I agree. He might with be you. the best hitter y'all have right now. He's locked in. There's no doubt. I mean, he had a monster weekend this past weekend. Uh, with two home runs in that first game against Kentucky. So my picks, I got Trey Morgan, and I think he's seeing the ball really well. The other thing, too, is, you know, it's it's Cruz White, Morgan, Travinsky. So he's right in between Tommy White and Hayden Travinsky, whether it be extending the inning or setting the table. And the other thing he does really well, is, as y'all both know, is he's shown some pop lately to the pull side, but he can hammer that left center gap, and I think that could be big, and Omaha with doubles are going to be a premium. You know, I think he does a great job with that. And the other guy I got uh, is Jordan Thompson. I think at the end of the lineup, uh, he did well against Tennessee last time, and I think he's just going to step up. He's kind of a big game player. He does a great job with two outs. So I got Morgan and Thompson as kind of my picks to click specifically for the Tennessee game. All right, now we're going to focus on maybe one or two keys to victory for Tennessee to come out of top or for LSU to come out on top. So, um, Randy – your team is the lower seed, so uh, <laughs> I had to throw that in there, my guy. I'll let you go first. Oh, so, what do uh, you think? What do you think, Tennessee? One thing, man. Yeah, it's got to be. I don't mean to take your your shine here, but it's got to be defense. You mentioned it. The yeah, the, yeah. the Baton Rouge series. I thought Tennessee left a lot of opportunity on the table by not getting third outs. Uh, they let LSU score with two outs. It really kind of killed them. Uh, the other key to me is is this is going to sound super simplistic getting skeins out of the game. Get, however you do it, get him out of the game, get to the pin. Those are my two. Defense for Tennessee. And to be honest, they were they were kind of kicking the ball around in the LSU series, Arkansas series. Oh, yeah. And yeah. now all of a sudden you got SEMO turning double plays that actually won them a game against Clemson. Him and Maui have become a lethal combination. So that defense and, again, getting skeins out of the game. Jim, your uh, keys to victory for LSU on Saturday night, what you got? My first one's the same one he said. Uh, for us, we've been hot defensively. We got to stay mm -hmm. hot, right? And yeah. and part of that started. We got Morgan back at first. Jordan Thompson has been doing his thing, and you got Pearson out and left, who we know can control it. So I really like that. And then Tommy White's just got to sure up third base. So uh, stay hot defensively. And then the other has been a problem all season. Going back to Game Three of the Tennessee series, hitting with runners in scoring position. Um, got to. We can't be stranding runners. That's if you look at just about every game we've lost this season. That's been the reason why. Yeah, and I'm going to stick with y'all. My two keys to victory for LSU, it's going to be defense, right? I think in Omaha, Alter at a premium, especially in this ballpark where we don't know, and the pitchers, right? We don't know. There might not be a home run hit because of the arms they're facing. So I think the ability on the infield to make routine plays, can't kick balls, you know, because then you extend innings, you give guys like Burke or Denton another chance to see schemes, right? You give them extra outs just on the flip side, like obviously Tennessee doesn't want to give LSU extra outs. So defense, and the other thing, I'm going to call it some two-out magic, two-out RBIs. Usually in tight games, somebody's got to make a clutch hit, right? you got to do something to, uh, you know, hit a double down the corner. you got to hit a bloop single, draw maybe a 3-2 walk or get hit by pitch, something to extend the inning, and somebody's got to come up big, just like Thompson did in that first game in Baton Rouge. He hit, 
Tennessee gave him a chance. They kind of kicked the ball around and they extended the inning. Then you get a hit by pitch and then he hits a two out double. So I'm going with some two out magic and defense for LSU keys to victory. All right, guys, we're starting to wrap up here on the 60 feet, six inches LSU podcast, talking college world series with Randy and Jim, Tennessee versus LSU. It's it, baby. This is it. We're going to wrap up with prediction time. So, uh, Jim, we'll flip you right here. I give Randy a breather. He always goes first. Jim, what do you give me a prediction for LSU, Tennessee, six o'clock, Omaha, wrapping up Saturday night? It's going to be the biggest crowd they're going to have in the first two days. There's no doubt. Jim, what you got going into this game? You know, I thought about this a lot. And you know what? I'm going to go repeat of Thursday night score. I'm going five to two LSU. Okay. Okay. I hear you. Uh, Randy, what you got on this one? How do you think the Vols are going to come out? So I I really have thought a lot about this one. And everything says LSU should win the game. They're favored. They're the hotter team. They haven't lost. They got skeins going. But something about that Tennessee magic lately, Chris, man, they figured something out. They have a grit and a resolve in them. They are embodying their head coach, a never-quit attitude. Um, From the team that we saw in Baton Rouge and in Fayetteville to the team we see now, not the same team. You've been a collegiate athlete. You know what that's like. They've grown. Now they trust in each other. They trust in Andrew Lindsay. They trust in the pin, trust in the hitters. I'm going Tennessee with the upset, three to two. Low scoring affair. Well, I will echo both of y'all's sentiments on that. I will not echo the Volunteers' win, but I think it's going to be tight, just like you said, Jeezy. Jim, I think it's going to be almost an exact repeat of that Thursday night game. I think pitching is going to dominate. I think there's going to be a lot of nerves from both teams, right? Tennessee obviously haven't been there a couple years ago, but um, it just takes a little while to get used to that crowd. I wouldn't be surprised if both pitchers struggle in the early innings trying to find the release point, trying to let their adrenaline die down. You know, you may see some overswings from some guys. So it's going to be – it'll be interesting to see if both teams, hitting and pitching, can get settled early on. But I feel like you, Jim. I feel 5-2, to 6-3, something in that range. But it doesn't happen till the very end, right? I think this sucker is close, probably going into the seventh, just like Randy said. And um, it's going to be tight, I think, for anybody – to say this is going to be a blowout one way or the other, I think they're just hoping for something that's probably not not going to happen. And, so, and let's uh, be honest, with the Saturday night primetime, with the two best traveling fan bases easily of the eight teams there, um, the thing's going to be electric. We don't want to blow out. Even as LSU fans, I don't want to blow out. I want a good game. Yeah, yeah. I think And a good, clean game, right? I mean, look, I'll take a victory if, if Tennessee wants to kick it around. You, know, you don't but, want to walk uh, off like Stanford did against Texas? you know what in the college world series whatever it takes to get game one victory i don't care i don't care if it's a damn hit by pitch i don't care what it is either fan base will take that so um look that's going to do it for this week's college world series preview of lsu versus tennessee i want to thank my guys jim and randy from the in off the bench podcast for joining me helping me preview this massive game fellas thank y'all so much for your time i really appreciate it so if you don't follow them on Twitter or you haven't found their podcast, please go check it out, man. Uh, I said it before with Jim on here in a previous episode. I'm going to say it now with Randy here. These guys probably have the best contact list in their iPhone or their Android as anybody in the entire country. These dudes can direct message and get texts from a lot of dudes who are absolute stars, whose talents will be on display this weekend. And um, Jim, how many guests was it again that y'all have had that on the pod that are going to be at the College World Series? 30. 30. And the coolest part about that stat is that is including the now 
pitching one of the pitching coaches um, for Tennessee, and then of course Tony Vitello. So it's, we even got two coaches in the mix. Bam! There you go. Those dudes do a big over there in off the bench. I'll make sure I'll I'll tag them and everything on Twitter so y'all can go check them out and uh, you know get those guys a look up. They do great stuff over there. So as a reminder, subscribe. Like, comment to the YouTube channel. Leave me some comments. I reply to everything that I can. Follow me on the Twitter account at 60FT6INLSUPOD. Y'all know where to find the podcast, all the major audio platforms. Next up, I have no clue what's next up. I'm hitting the road on Friday to head up to Omaha. Maybe we can do some type of a live reaction show after the Tennessee game. Or maybe I can get Jim or Alex or Steven. All my former guests will be up there as well in Omaha. Maybe we can get something going Sunday morning. So just stay tuned to the Twitter account for details. Once again, I want to thank these guys. And uh, I think it's going to be a fabulous game on Saturday night, game four in Omaha. Can't wait. So until next time, y'all stay safe. And as always, go Tigers.